Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind, in your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis, and boy, this is going to be so fantastic. Minister Sam Oliver is here, and we're going to talk about faith, hope, and anything else that comes to mind. This is going to be fun. And it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and the sun is shining, and I want everybody to get up and listen. So how are you doing, Sam? I am doing well, thank you. Feeling That's good. pretty good, even though I'm another year older today. Oh, happy birthday. I, I knew that I was going to put something on Facebook. You know, I learned something because I'm a Swerdloff by, by name. My dad was a Swerdloff. We don't talk about age, ever. Yeah. I don't discuss my age or anything because I'm too young to be old. I decided, and um, well, we just do presents and wish people happy birthday. And I my nephews are my Facebook. Ne- yeah, I, I saw I that. Saw on Facebook that was funny the other day. Uh, a lady put on there. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I said I was. I saw something on Facebook that was funny the other day. A lady was talking to someone and. She told uh, the person she was talking to, my phone number is unlisted, just like my birthday. Mine too. <laughs> my birthday, my 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 birthday doesn't even exist. As a matter of fact, I mean, it's a funny question, funny topic. My mom kept secrets. She was good at it. And oh. when she died, before she died, this is a true story. Before she died, she said to me, "I just want you to know that you're really younger than you all think you are." And it's possible you could have been adopted. I said, well, considering how you treated me and everybody else, I don't doubt that for dust. And my sister once said, the reason why you don't have a Shirley Temple, though, because we were at a flea market, and is because you were adopted and they felt sorry for you. At which point, I got three raggedy end dolls for free from the vendor. And I didn't complain. I wanted to kill. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. Then she walked over and told every person every at the flea market at Stormville that she doesn't look like me or anybody. She was adopted. I said, that's probably why I'm smarter than you. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. It was it was horrible. But, you know, you get, my mother lied, and she said to me, if you ever really find out how old you are, you're going to be surprised. I go, well, then this way I get to pick whatever age I want to be, which is I don't even know. That's wrong. That's right. So this, this pandemic has really gotten to a lot of people. How do we tell people to restore their faith in different types of faith? And how do they strengthen their faith during this difficult time? Because I watch the news and I don't listen anymore. And I can't stand all these angry people. And yesterday they did something, and it really bothered me, for George Floyd. Instead of doing a violent thing, why don't you talk about the faith he had in his life and the good good things? Why don't you do a documentary or a, a newsreel on something that may, would make people want to remember him on May 25th? So I don't know. 
you know, some of his own family members have said something about that too as well, that they didn't yeah. want him to be remembered this way. He's not being honored. And yeah, I said uh, it's that. really sad when it's really sad when we use uh, events and turn it into a political ploy to uh, to promote an agenda. Because every time we do that, we basically uh, take that person's life and and yeah. manipulate it into our own ego to where it has absolutely no meaning anymore for that person who has just died. And uh, and and after doing Funerals for well over 30 years through hospice care, one of the things you, you realize is, especially is the longer that I have done it, that a lot of people didn't quite uh, know how to express that part mm-hmm. of themselves about their loved one the further along I could go. Because I remember 30 years ago, funerals, uh, people had a lot to say about their loved mm-hmm. one, but the, the, the more I, I did it, I had to prompt them with questions over the years because it, we seem to have lost that aspect of ourselves that knows how to get in that place because we have, our lives have become so busy that we uh, follow down a, a path that leads us away from those that are most sacred to our hearts. And uh, most people don't even have time or don't act like they have time for for themselves. So they busy their lives uh, to, to surround them by other people and events that keep them from that self-reflection uh, that actually gives them uh, the breath of life that they came into the world with, carries them through it, and carries them home. Well, that's why when my sister died, I ran the funeral. I literally did. And I said, who is going to speak? And, the ter- and who is going to speak? And who is allowed to speak? And I let everybody speak first, and then I read three poems I wrote about her. I said, because it's bad enough she had died under suspicious circumstances, and her husband, as far as I'm concerned, I don't. I, I, there was something strange that happened that day. My brother read something, and then I said, the doctor that she worked for went something, and I said, and I went last. I did the same thing for my mother-in-law, and I did the same thing for my mother. And no one could do the unveiling. I went. I learned how to run an unveiling. I did a pretty good job too for an hour and a half, <laughs> and and had the program and everything, and included everyone because I said, you know what, my sister did everything for everyone, and my mother did things for my family she shouldn't even do for me. And I felt that they yeah. deserved the honor. But George Floyd, that was an insult yesterday. You don't sit and worry about what that cop did. Worry about what he did. Worry why he was a wonderful man. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But they're making they memorializing him on May 25th, which is why I wrote the poem on Facebook about my aunt, because it would have been her birthday. So, uh, next question. Yeah. You know, the, when I, I, I had a, a, an altercation with the sidewalk two weeks ago, as we all know. And I looked up mm-hmm. at the sky, and I go, I hope I didn't break anything, God. And I was blessed because I didn't break anything. I just turned everything purple. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. That should be the worst of my problems. So how do we look at God? And does he hear us when we pray? And why do some people lose faith in him? Because I would never lose faith after what happened. I was so blessed that I didn't break anything, like my nose, my knee, my arm, my head, anything. Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing about 
when we face a turn of events, mm. uh, we, we, uh, such as what we're going through now, what you went through now, we many times that the only times that we really actually do connect to God is when we find ourselves broken, just like our, just like you and falling, just like us going through this pandemic. Uh, mm. So many of the years of our lives, when it's going well, we we want to do what we want to do and ask God to bless us. And so our focus isn't really on God until we find ourselves broken, and then we say, "Why didn't you protect me from this?" And yeah. and if I was God, my response would be, "So you can continue down the path you were going and 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 not, not even think of me." That would be my response if I were God. It seems like there's something in the act of brokenness that actually gets us to to connect to God for wholeness. Because we don't ask for wholeness while we're following our egotistical needs in society, fulfilling roles, uh, ambitions, and uh, career achievements that gives us the ability to, to feel good about ourselves. But whatever happens to the days when, when we, we realize that the only reason why we can feel good about ourselves is not because of the achievements that we have made, but who gave us the gifts and talents to be able to participate in a co-creative process in life, giving us the ability to, to engage in the, the creative order that we find upon the earth as a result of our life that has Given it to be ability to come into being, see a power coming through, if not from us, such as our Creator. Many times, no, I've, I've I've thought to myself as a writer over the years, especially after having written eleven books, and and one and for a ten year period, there was one year after year, and written mm-hmm. articles over the years. But in the end, I mean, actually about halfway into that uh, period of time, and, and I still write every day, uh, I, I begin to realize I'm not really writing anything. I'm listening for words and dictating like a secretary uh, um, the words that, that, that come from a place inside me that actually allows me to expand and open up myself mm-hmm. into a, a spiritual expression. And then the spiritual experience becomes what is on the written page at that point. And the uh, the words that, that are reflected on that page, I, I can technically say to myself, I didn't really... I didn't create it in and of myself. I was able to participate in an event that that was uh, holy, sacred, and it was my hope when people lay their eyes on it that they feel the vibrations of that 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 center deep within their heart, and as it resonates there, it becomes a, a way of expressing a pathway into the soul that people may or may not have even thought of. Expanding their own personal point of view and giving them an opportunity to to, to listen to a writer who just needs to be on the same journey as they are and writing from that place that they are reading from, and that is the true connection I think that happens in the uh, the writing process. It gives us the ability to look at life in a different way. And so it is through our brokenness that we look for resolution and wholeness 
And in that looking for wholeness, getting back to what we, we started with, getting back to that wholeness and that search for wholeness once again is actually the search for God. That's interesting. You know, I sometimes, my new book is called Population Zero. And the reason I wrote it is because people are so infused with the anger and the hate that they don't realize that there are other worlds they could live in that they don't want to be in. So I created worlds that no one would want to live in with no people. Describe them, the devastation, the coldness, the, the no sun. And then I invited a spirit to come back. And there's a spirit that guides you through the book. The spirit to come back and explain what they went through when they lived in my world. And they ask you, would you want to join him or her in the world? I also wrote, um, so I, wrote a, I wrote also invited one person to come back and experience all the worlds. People have read it and said it's really good, frightening. But I want people to realize that what's happening in the world is not the way it should be. And right. I walk in the street in the morning, and I, I walk into the bakery, and the people are just so miserable. And yet I walk into Rite Aid, and all the, the people that work there say, oh, our famous girl is here. Good morning. How you doing? I mean, yesterday I called the pharmacist because I needed a question answered. And I said, gee, you know, you do so much for me. How you doing? Are you Okay. He said, nobody ever asks. He says, you're the only one. I said, because mm. you do so much for me, I have to say thank you. I mean, we're having a problem with the cemetery. My aunt's grave collapsed. This is serious. During the unveiling. So we're dealing with death on top of everything. And the girl that runs the office said to me, these things happen. I said, no, they don't, and I'm going to take care of it. The head of the cemetery board took the time to talk to me for half an hour yesterday, and she couldn't believe I thanked her. Because basically she didn't have to do anything. Is is it really that hard to say thank you? To appreciate the goodness and the kindness in people? That bothers me. I just threw that in. Yeah, gratefulness seems to be something that a lot of people have lost out on until they yeah. reach a point in life that we're going through right now or go through some kind of turmoil. Uh, it's like we were talking about a little bit earlier. <clears throat> How can you be grateful for life when you're busy being the one creating it and thinking that it comes in and goes through you rather than that participating uh, co-creation event that we were talking about earlier? It doesn't. It's not possible in a self-centered awareness. It's not until we get into a life-centered awareness that encompasses more than just our own needs and wants and experiences in life, that we truly are able to express ourselves the most authentically as possible. Because when we do that, we come from a place where where uh, a soul begins to meet with another soul. And, and when we do that, we come face-to-face with the creation of, of our creator that is inside every one of us, allowing us to define what's meaningful and sacred inside the heart of another person through the words that we speak. And and that those vibrations themselves also out is also eternity within that begins to resonate within the heart, giving us the ability to understand and embrace with mm-hmm. the heart what the mind will never be understand, which is unconditional love. 
And it's mm-hmm. out of that unconditional love that no limits are placed upon relationships, giving us the ability to know each other as we truly are. And in that knowing itself, we come to know the wisdom that created it all. You know, I do, there are so many people that go out of their way for people, and then of course there are those that don't and do things that are, I just ignore them after a while. I mean, the people in the, in the local businesses here, um, I just have to call up and say, could you do me a favor? Could you make this so I can, you know, handle it, whatever? And everybody says, no problem. You know, that's great, no problem. And, you know, just just thank you means means so much. Mm-hmm. Or a little note on, a, you know, a text message, oh, I, c- I could not have done that without you. Seriously. It, it's it's important. Um, when my sister died in 2010, I still haven't gotten over it. So ever so often, you know, you need, I just talk to somebody about it, whatever, and just get it out of my system. Or I'll do something for her and share it with my family. Because she was like the spark. She was so funny in the morning. And she'd say, this is the pain in the neck. Are you the bigger pain in the neck? Are you in a good mood or a bad mood? I said, well, now that you're on the phone, forget it. I'm not even going to go there. Forget it. We used to crack up laughing. So why does depression mm-hmm. set in at times? And how do we avoid that? Because I've been getting a lot of you know people in my family that are having panic attacks. And... That's a good topic for Dennis Palumbo to talk about when he gets better, because his new book is Panic Attack, coming out in September. So depression sets in at times. How do we do? How do we get rid of that? How do you get back that smile on your face and say, "No, I'm not going to let this eat me up. I'm going to get better," because that's hard. Mental illness bothers me. Mm-hmm. Well, depression itself, which the word depress, uh, depress down upon life to 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 put you in a place where you feel the pressures and the stress of life pushing mm-hmm. and weighing you down itself. Um, that what is it that that's causing that? And the answer that we come up with can either free us or push us further down. If we come up with more and more reasons why we're being depressed, see, there's nothing wrong with expressing them. But if that's all we come up with and we don't come up with ways to to relieve that depression or actions that leads to a freedom from that, we're we're going to continue to find ourselves in a in a mm-hmm. depressed state that does not allow us to be free. And the interesting thing is is that that uh, when you look at both sides of what's going on within yourself, you're given a choice. You're given a path to follow. And we can continue on in a depressed state and just relive an experience over and over and over again. But we can realize that that is in the past and the only path that we can have if we want to be free from the from the past is to be able to create new meaningful moments that, that allows us to remember the past but not be stuck in them. You don't want to, you don't want to constantly remind yourself of of failures or what you perceive to be failures over and over because the failures itself is not in, not even possible in the world of a of a of a spiritual person and being they are just lessons to have been learned that allows you to take the next step into something that you were meant to become as a result of them 
Because when we, we step into places and experiences that depress our spirit at any mm-hmm. given moment, we're actually living uh, mm-hmm. a path that was not meant for us to walk into, at least not be bound by it and controlled by it. So you were, you were, you go, going back to your book that you've been writing, uh, or, or is it finished? Yeah. I'm not sure. It's finished. Okay. <clears throat> when you, when you started writing about uh, the people in it, you were writing about the people, events, and circumstances that still found freedom yeah. within you, despite the the external circumstances that has has led to only just a few meaningful relationships inside of you that still had life. Now, if you think about that, that is mm-hmm. we talk about us living in a new world. Well, we mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. for you became your new world and where you still found life within the life that we have found ourselves in. And that's what's going to happen happen for all of us as we begin to create life out of nothingness, which is what we are told in sacred texts all over the place is what our creator does each and every day and every moment of them. But you are a participant in it. And the way you choose to look at the world around you from the place inside of you that allows you to, to create within this new world uh, opportunities, experiences, and paths that you weren't able to create in the one that you previously left behind you. And since we none of us can go back to the life that that we once had, and bring it into the present without weighing us or contaminating this new world uh, that we now find ourselves in. It's 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 basically a, a choice that we have to make within the new world to to enable ourselves to to participate and even start to have some kind of active um, active joy in being able to start over. How many people do you know in your life that, that wanted to, to start over and they've asked for it many times in their life? Well, we've all been given that opportunity. That's probably something that everybody has asked themselves. How can I redo everything? Well, we're redoing everything right now. And the world we come up with on the other side of this will be a collective participation of events and experiences thoughts and emotions that went into uh, this new world, given us the opportunity to, to see life again from a new perspective. And will it look mm-hmm. different than before? Yes, it will. It already is different, whether you, you want it to be or not. We have began the process of uh, walking into this new world that gives us uh, the ability to to actually redo each and everything that we couldn't in the old way. So we so here we go. We're left with the choice again to live in a depressed or past world, or live in the new creative world, where the people that that are most meaningful to us uh, from the place where our heart can now recognize them as most meaningful to us. Uh, can can give us the ability to to move forward with authentic and true support from relationships that actually move us into a place where we can express their most authentic self. 
Yeah, I know. It's and so that, hard sometimes. You know, th- it's funny. This morning, my cousin called me, and she said, just hold uh, next week, or hold a, a couple of days in July, but I don't know when, because my nephew's moving to um, Pennsylvania with his girlfriend, and she said, we're going to all get together finally as a family. I said, it's about time. I really want to see everybody. And then yesterday on Facebook, my niece, um, her first song dropped on January 1st, and I've been helping her, supporting her, helping her deal with certain things and stuff. So when I saw this on Facebook yesterday, I got really upset. You know, there are ways to develop a better positive attitude, and I'm very positive. But when I saw that she went to Miami and met with the the people from Vocal Star, which are phenomenal, and her coaches and stuff and her manager, I said, how come you didn't tell me? And they said, oh, it's, um, you know, it was, a, it was just like a short, you know, visit and was a spur of the moment. I said, I'm your aunt, and I did so much for you. What can I tell you? I said, I understand why, you know, you're excited. I said, but I want to be excited, too. So I got insulted, which is not like me. Mm-hmm. She chose to. I, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, first of all, she made a choice. Yeah. And it was outside of your control. And she chose to experience life in a particular way that included, um, that did not include you. And um, it's, it's um, for better or worse, that's that happens for all, all of us and to all of us. And no matter what mm-hmm. we have done for people, you would hope that they would include you in life. I, I, yeah. I experienced that with, with my kids, and all of us, I think, that are adults can understand what I'm about to say. When they leave your home, they make choices for themselves that you may or may not have wanted to be, be made, and they can choose to to include you in that life uh, as much as they want to. And for many people, it's once or twice a year they see their kids, and for some, it's every week, and some, it's every day. Uh, but it's it's if they choose to to give you space in the world at whatever level, no matter what the percentage is, it's 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 still a choice that they are making to find a way into what makes sense for them. And and I I finally come to the, the realization that um, I want to give my kids space. I want to give people space to have me a part of their life as much as they want or not have me as much as they want because it's their life to live. And Mm -hmm. the older I get, I I don't see a right or wrong in that, which frees me, see, to to be able to make some of my own choices, uh, actually, because sometimes people together out of obligation that you were with her or, or not, but sometimes we get that feeling and we begin to tie ourselves to relationships that actually don't serve our good, which actually when, when we're not included, that actually gives us space to create something in our life that we would not mm. in and of ourselves. Uh, I know a lot of a lot of uh, parents. Let's say, let's say a mother-daughter relationship. Make it simple. You've got to pick mm-hmm. one or the other. Right? Uh, let's say that um, that uh, uh, a mother has strong expectations for her daughter to 
to live right beside her with her kids and, and she'd be involved in her, her life the rest of her life. Well, if it's done out of obligation and not out of a choice that the child is making in and of themselves, it, they both can feel trapped because one's trying to control while the other one is trying to, to be free. And the soul is not necessarily free until it has the ability to make choices without judgments from everyone involved in that relationship with that person. And it actually is what gives us our soul the ability to expand some of the more vast uh, expressions of the universe around him or her because we're, we're free actually from what uh, uh, holds us into a particular identity. We're always in process of creating and recreating new identities within us. We call them relationships, but they're nothing more than aspects of our own self reliving themselves over and over within each cell of our body, giving us the ability to express them and experience them even in stressful moments or or freeing moments that, that gives us the ability to to know ourselves uh, from a from either a constricted point of view or from a free point of view. And actually that's a, a choice that all of us long for, but when it comes to the mm. family and certain relationships that we are closest to, we for some reason don't want to give that space yet. It's the one thing that makes people enduring to us the most because they never felt compelled to be in a relationship with us. They they felt more, I'm talking about in a negative way, they feel more compelled to be in a relationship because they cannot keep from it because they so long to go to the same place they find you to be in. That that's hard sometimes. That's yeah, hard it sometimes. Is. It's it's that's not easy. Keep, I mean Yeah, that's why we gotta keep coming back to our highest self within us. Yeah. Uh, and and keep uh nurturing that spiritual part of it. Some people do it through writing is a writing meditate is a meditation. That helps through the that action. does help. It, uh, a lot of, in fact, there's a lot of people and psychologists don't like hearing this. Uh, a lot of things could be solved if people would write their their issues out on paper because the act of the mind and the body coming together and flowing through you onto a a piece of paper that allows you to get something out of your system, and it's the same process that you do with a uh, with a counselor. The difference is. You're probably going to be more honest on your your paper than you will to the to the therapist because you're always trying to figure out what to say, how to say analytically, mm-hmm. which keeps you from your emotional self that that needs to express itself and and get that that toxic waste whatever is out of you uh, so that you can actually be free. And some people feel the freedom whether they keep that paper or not. Mm-hmm. And some by throwing it away or burning it, and and there's a reason why that those kinds of exercises exist out there is because you have fully let something come through you, and, and you and you want to you want it to evaporate now, so that you can have more room to work with inside yourself and and building the kind of life that you do want. Yeah, that's very true. You know, in order to honor. 
sometimes, and I know people that do this, not just me, sometimes you'll sit down and take a piece of paper and vent on the paper. Mm-hmm. You just write what, write what you're thinking and, and how you feel at the moment. And sometimes it does make you feel better. But when, when my sister died, I said, or anybody, other people I've known have done this, they write books about the person. So I wrote sisters, two sisters from the South Bronx and, and our antics growing up, so that if I forget something, I just read it and go, that we really did that? I mean, you write your emotions, it's great, and to honor somebody's memory. I said, but the saddest thing I found out recently was when, you know, my uncle died in August, and he was in hospice. How do people deal with the, with the staff and hospice and how they treat them? And my cousin is in assisted living. He can never come home. He goes out with his wife. They, they, she picks him up. They go to lunch, whatever. But he he lost his legs about 53 years ago for an accident that happened. And, um, and he's an oral surgeon. He's brilliant. And he he gets very, you know, the staff is not the best at this nursing home. And he, you know, takes care of it. He'll call me, you know, this is what you got to do. And it bothers me. How do you deal with, with the staff of a nursing home that basically doesn't care? Well, hospice, how do you deal with that? How do you explain to the patients that they have recourse or that these people are paid to care? Because that's hard. Well, well we, ha- we have to remember that each person has their own journey, uh, no matter yeah. where they are on it. They're in their lives for a reason. Um, the bottom line is uh, a person, most of the time, I won't say all the time because some people are just uh, very sharp and they can learn anything whether they have their heart in it or not. But the uh, we have to remember they have a piece of paper in front of them that says and gives them the identity to do what they do and participate mm-hmm. in human care because of that certification. Um, that doesn't mean that their their soul has developed to a place. Well, wait a minute. Let me backtrack on that. That doesn't mean that their mind and their heart through experiences has matched up with their soul that drove them to a place to want to get that degree. And many people don't even know what it takes uh, when they get that degree um, uh, to, to, to actually give the kind of care that a patient actually needs. I'll never forget just going out of getting out of school. Uh, well, first of all, it goes all the way back to to what I learned in college. I was very good at psychology. My supervisor wanted me to take while in college to uh, graduate study classes, and they were creative. She figured I'd do pretty good in a creative class, and I ended up being the top mm-hmm. of both classes. So, so I was very well versed in, in psychology. Then I went to seminary, studied how to bring uh, uh, pastoral care and counseling together and got certified. And, and, and then I went on to Rush University to, to get certified in in my postgraduate degree and then went on to get a, uh, a, a, a honorary a degree in, in doctorate of ministry. As, uh, but so you see, I I left from that academic world, being pushed by me wanting to achieve, and 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 it became something that I after a while I realized that well it was my gift, but yet I earned these degrees, and because I earned it, my ego had the right to call myself a mm-hmm. chaplain. 
So my identity was so strong in being a hospice chaplain that I had no idea how to be uh, a fellow soul walking and companioning um, mm. uh, someone who is dying until I had the experience of that, that I worked so hard to achieve, allowing my ego to get to a place that I knew not what it was anymore to be a servant because I knew how to tell people how to do it better than I knew how to do it itself. So the best thing that ever could have happened to me my first month of hospice care was to, to visit a lady who told me that she did not want me to go there and uh, talk to her about anything religious. The only thing she wanted out of me was uh, a prayer at the beginning, a prayer at the end, but in the middle, she, she wanted silence. She didn't want to talk about it at all. So here I was after getting all these different degrees, mm. sitting there talking uh, and praying with a lady who, who made sure I honored my end of the agreement, the prayer and conversation when it ended. Uh, and it was very brief each time. She, I mean, sometimes she'd interrupt me. She'd say, listen, let's, let's, let's start uh, meditating together. And I have a feeling she was sent into my life for a reason at just the right time because it it made a difference in the rest of my hospice care. But the uh, the, the lady, uh, I'm sure she started noticing I wanted to share with her what I knew. And it, it was it was uh, and as soon as I get to that place in our conversation, she'd come it on, uh, and and she wouldn't wouldn't listen to it very long. And she said, let's meditate, and then we'll play at the end of the music again. And she said, I want you to do this with me every week. So during yes, my yes. silence, instead of, instead of my, my time being a time of meditation and getting closer to God with, with this woman, I spent my, my week uh, talking about inside myself. You know, I got all these degrees. Mm-hmm. And I know all of this that I could share with this lady, and she won't let me share with me. I was talking to God, basically expressing my, my frustration and anger that I had spent so much time to learn what I needed to do, and this lady won't even let me help. But you know, the interesting thing is I did that week after week with her. Those words got more and more silent. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they became true. more and more silent, when those words became more and more silent within me, I became less important, and God and this woman became more important. Mm-hmm. And well, I understand what you're saying, believe it or not. My aunt and, died and August be- 2nd, uh, April 2nd in 2007, and she didn't want to talk about anything. She just said to me, I'm going to go in peace because you're here. Yeah, and that's and all was, they really want. They want yeah. to connect with them. They want to, you can't. You can't always, well, you can't, you can do it with words, but it's got to come from the heart. But yeah. the words that we say, uh, when you when you begin to express things too much, you lose sight of, of whose journey it is. Because the more we seem to yeah. talk about um, our own self, our own needs, uh, we're, we're already trapped into a place where uh, God can't help us. Because we're too busy trying to help ourselves and express to God to, to manipulate life to go a particular way that mm. we have become the creator instead of allowing our creator to create something within us. And usually it's humility. 
you know, my mother died and, in March of 2011, and I was standing there, and she looked at me, and she said, you're a pain in the neck, even with the feeding tube. It was hilarious. It was so funny. And I said to her, Ma, you need to have this done. She said, no more. That was her final word to me, no more. I walked out to go to the bathroom, and I came back, and she was gone. And I said, why are you sleeping, Ruthie? What's the matter with you? And the nurse came in and showed such compassion. They just stood there and let me stay there for an hour and a half to talk to her, even though she was gone, which is rare, which is where my aunt was, was in a hospital for hospice, not one person came in when I told them she died. There was no bells, nothing. And I walked out and I said, don't you care that this person that was the head of reading, that was a special educator, died? You can't even come in and say you're sorry? I was like flabbergasted. And this was a hospital where my mother was in where there were thousands of people. And these, these nurses came in and said, you know, you, we love you. You helped us. And everybody was so kind. I mean, seriously, that, that's sad. But we uh, before I forget, Monday, um, the author of Status Six is coming, and he's the former he's the son of Johnny Weissmuller. I didn't know that, but he is now. On the second, uh, Dick Belsky has been there. Um, he's, he's writing under the name of Dana Perry. This is a scary book, for Ocean Grave. On the third, a topic that you'd be very interested in. The man's name is Kevin Jones, and the book is called The Day Before I Died. And he wrote an inspirational book. It was a tearjerker on what happened when he wanted to kill himself and why he feels life is too precious. So when I got the book, I sent the book, the review to the publicist. She said, he said, what day do you want to interview him? I said, are you serious? I'm going to do it. And I don't do three shows in one week, but, yeah, I'm going to attempt this next week. The seventh, uh, Don Bentley with Target Acquired, the Clancy book. On the 8th, John Gilstrap, and on the 10th, this is another one for, new one for me, uh, Make Your Move, It's About Dating. And there's a whole bunch more coming in June. And on the 29th, tell what, what better way to end the month than with Tess Gerrinson in Choose Me with Gary Braver. And the day after that, another one of these books is called Through a Sober Lens. This man is an alcoholic, was an alcoholic, and on drugs. And he wrote this book about his journey, but the greatest part is, is that each story has a photograph that he took with his with his camera, so it's basically photography, too. It's gorgeous. And, of course, when I sent the thing to the, the review to the publicist, he said, what day do you want? And I go, like, oh, my God, what did I get into mm. this time? You know, I, I mean, <laughs> I'll try anything. <laughs> I'll try whatever. Mm. So we have a few minutes to go. How do you change, how do you reach God for inspiration? And how do you deal with adversity? Because it's hard at times. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as reaching God for uh, for inspiration, sometimes mm-hmm. for many people, that's waking up in the morning and taking that first step. And, you know, that first step that we take each and every moment. I, and I notice that as uh, people get older and it's harder for them to take that first step. We, whether you realize it or not, you're already in communication with God. You're already talking to to your body, your mind, to to encourage yourself to start your day. And it takes effort to do that. Anyone can lay in bed all day long and mm-hmm. and just not do anything. But mm-hmm. it takes courage to wake up and take those first few steps in the morning not knowing how or what the day will bring you. 
And 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 if we if we take a close look at each step that we take, we're always asking for direction. And you know, the very one who gave us the ability to even do all of those things is our creator. So how we interact with ourselves is actually a way of and a, a choice that we make to interact with our higher self, which is, is our creator that gives us the opportunity through grace and thankfulness with each step that we take. It's our steps toward either uh, the fulfillment of what's highest in you or the destruction of what's lowest within you through the choices that we make and through the words that we say to ourselves, which includes our highest sense of self. Because we wouldn't be living if if it wasn't for that that part of us that gave us the ability to come into this world, live in mm-hmm. it, and move on. Uh, so it's that participation that we have from the moment we we open our eyes into this new world each and every day that gives us the opportunity to, to find what mm-hmm. is highest within us to either uh, make choices to to walk into it or walk away from it. But the the choice to walk into what even we perceive to be something negative should only be entertained. Let me put it this way. Will only be entertained. That's it. Will only be entertained by your highest sense of yourself. Only for the fulfillment of knowing that you are greater than any dis-ease within your body, greater than any dis-ease within life, greater than any disease that has come upon you because of what has has happened to you. Um, Because we have the ability uh, of what has happened to us in this pandemic to to make choices, to live within a, a new world but it's not the world that is being created for us. It's the one that we create within it that will, that is always going to show itself to be the strongest uh, mm-hmm. part over time because nothing can separate us from that unconditional love of a creator. It's, it's that wants scary. Us to know um, that our I, I, souls, I even... That, that, Wait a minute, the, the, the creator that wants us to know that we are free no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. Until we learn those lessons, mm-hmm. the body will always be trapped by its, by its own thoughts of its own self. I know somebody texted me about a month ago, and she said, I'm having a panic attack. I said, what's bothering you? And, you know, she said to me, nobody else should stay on the phone with her. She doesn't see anybody. I said, you know what? It's going to be okay. I understand because you're going through a hard time. She was afraid because she was getting the vaccine. And she didn't. She knew what happened to me. <laughs> I said to her, I'm going to tell you something. The, the side effects are not great, but it's not as bad as having the virus. And considering half my family had it, I voted for the vaccine. And I, I had four and a half days of I didn't even know where the heck I was. But you know what? It's still better than the virus. So I talked her out of it, and she's been fine. So I said to her, when you think about this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go outside and take a walk and just look at the sun and smile or call your son, call your granddaughter, do something happy for yourself because you deserve it. 
it, it's hard. So when I'm listening to the news, which I never listen to anymore, because commentators have to express themselves, but sometimes there's a little bias in them. The the hardest question is, how do you bring people, after what happened yesterday, uh, of different races together with harmony instead of all these hate crimes? I mean, I live in a nice community, but I just multicultural, and I love it. I think people of different races are interesting, and I like to learn about them. The two little boys next door are African-Americans. They're my little nephews now. And I get, when I get children's books, I go, like, Ashton and Gabe, you want those? They love me. I mean, what mm-hmm. is so hard about just being nice to people and saying good morning or bringing people of different races together? Why is there so much hate in the world? It bothers me. Well, probably one of the uh, difficult things that we have to learn during this time is to realize, yes, we live in a in a culture with subcultures, but uh, we are not our culture, and we can mm-hmm. help each other learn about each other's culture, but in the end, we're all a part of the human race, and when you realize that you're a part of the human race, and that everybody believes red blood, and everybody has very, you see, you learn this in hospice too. You and everybody has very similar concerns. It's just discussed a little bit differently uh, with each person. And, but every single culture has has uh, challenges within it, and it doesn't matter what side of those challenges you find yourself on. We still have to find freedom within it, and we have to be determined to keep going back to the center of who we are and find our reason for living from that place, not from a culture. Because if you're, you're making your identity your culture, you've already lost that co-created participation mm. that happens between you and your your uh, your creator to allow yourself to live in freedom within the human. And we were created to be human first. Culture mm. is something we develop in and of ourselves as a result of being human. If you forget, if you forget who you are, you've you've actually forgot the reason that you came here in this world, and that is to to make yourself fully known as an expression of of God's uniqueness inside your heart and mind, and express from that place something that is capable of uniting you with all of humanity. And if you don't have that kind of an awareness inside of yourself, we're probably uh, pursuing uh, self-interest um, pursuits that lead to a very limited space and an expression of yourself in this world that can only be accepted by those you perceive to be like you, when in the end you have failed to realize there is a place inside of you that is just like you and everyone else, which keeps us in a humble state rather than a physical state. And our authentic power comes from our humble state that mm-hmm. encompasses the whole world around us because that in itself is who we really are uh, above and beyond just the human experience. We are spiritual beings at that point, having a human experience instead of the other way around. And when you find yourself in that spot inside you, you have found the freedom to to experience and express your, your yourself, your highest sense of self, 
from an unlimited potential of opportunities that no knowing. No, I agree. All I know is that when I was teaching, and I was working with this one particular educator, and the kids in school need to know this stuff too. And they need to think more positive, and they need to have more open minds and what the way to act towards other people. And before you could walk into his room, I thought this was so cool, and I do this anyway every day, he would say, say something nice about somebody. Say something nice about me. Say something nice about my class. Say something positive. And at first, everybody thought he was, you know, like off a wall. And I go, you know what? That is a really good idea. I think that's fantastic. So every day when I go into the bakery where everybody's negative, I'll see somebody and I'll go, you know, you look really pretty today. You have a great smile. And they look at you and they change the whole mindset. Because saying something nice to somebody is special. Not enough people do it. And mm-hmm. the other day, I walked out of um, one of the medical centers because I was giving them all copies of my books. That's why I showed up. And these two young girls stopped me. And they said, you got to tell us where you got your hair done. You look so good. And I said, you just mm-hmm. made my whole world sound so much better. Thank you so much for saying it. Where did you get it done? I said, in the Bronx. Where else would I go? And it was just so uplifting. And I go, like, that is so nice that two strangers that were going to get medical care stopped for five minutes to talk to me about where I get my hair done. And then we were talking about them. I just thought that was special. So before we end, where can everybody learn more about you, your ministry, your books, and when am I getting the next one? <laughs> well, I've been working on one. Actually, I've, I've done uh, one already, but I haven't decided to publish it yet. And I'm not sure, I will, but I'm, I'm basically working on one right now where uh, it, the title is a, it's a title I'm not sure I'm going to keep, but it is one that's a working title. It's the reincarnation of God. We view oh, nice. God now. <coughs> we view God now in a different way than we did God. a year ago. And that is and really nice. That's grips, interesting. We're coming to grips with what that new relationship is, and God's coming to grips with our, his or her relationship to us. And we're basically in a negotiating process, and whatever it is from the choices that we make, it becomes a new contract, contract that we live basically out uh, from that moment forward in this new world. And, and how we participate in it will, will be determined by those choices that we make inside ourselves. And so if you want to find out more... If you want to find out more about me, you can go to www.pathintohealing.com, and that's mm. my website. Um, but I actually, you know, after, after writing many books over the years, 11 books and many, many articles over the years for professional journals, the one book that, that means the most to me personally because it changed my life is actually my first one. It's called What the Dying Teaches, and the subtitle is Lessons on Living. And the whole book is about what, what dying people have to teach the living, about living in soul. Nice. And uh, I'm, I know that it was such a transformative experience for me to write that particular book that it, it really changed me from, from one world, and I actually started living in another world after that book. Uh, not not before it was finished. I was actually changing in the middle of it. And mm. what I'd become at that point 
was was uh, Sam not no longer wanting to be a writer, but Sam being a writer and just simply realizing the full potential of, of what had already placed inside of my heart to do what I was meant to become and do. And it's not something that I learned in, in school. It's not something that can be taught to you. It's something that can only be revealed to you from the very wisdom that brings all of life into being. That's interesting. Well, before we go, there is someone that I did thank. Um, somebody asked me a while ago, a couple of people do, did, how do you come up with what you write on your reviews and how come you understand what nobody else does? And I said, there's a reason. Um, a long time ago, this lady in the beauty parlor looked at me and she said, you're one of the best reading people on this planet. Why don't you go get yourself a reading master's? I go, you've got to be kidding me. I did. Best thing I ever did. And the first professor that taught this first class that my brother said to me, you really don't want to do this. I go, oh, but I'm going to do it because I want to prove to you I can do it. Prove to myself. And it was, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was tough. I had to write five articles at, on index cards. He wanted the paper. And he comes in after I handed it in the next week, and he looks at me, and he goes, you are the only one in the class with a brain. I go, holy God, what did I do? He said, no one gets a 10 on any of my first papers. No one even passes. He says, and then there's you. He says, from now on, I will pick your articles. I go, wait a minute, that's not fair. He picked the hardest articles and the most pages. And he taught those, the book, and I still have it. It's called Understanding Reading by Frank Smith, The Psycholinguistics of Writing, of Reading, and Dewey's Psychology of Reading. And when I got done with all the cl- that class, he called, I don't believe it, the president of the University of Hunter College and said, she's to matriculate after three credits. I go, but what if I don't want to? What if I'm just doing this? And I graduated number one in my class with a four-point-something in, 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 you know, H, you know MPH, whatever, uh, uh, grade level. And I said, oh, my God, I can't believe I did this. And he just motivated me to the point. But the honor is, on August 25th, Dr. George Cavuto is coming on my radio show to talk about his life as a professor and the medicalization of education and mm. how we need to, force, how we need to, to the basics and how teachers and educators need to know how to deal with, with children and not giving them medication today. So I am totally honored. I got to thank him getting to. But, Sam, this has been so inspirational. I hope we get to do this again sometime. I mean, just for you, I get up at 7 o'clock in the morning. Nobody else. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I go like, yeah. wait a minute, well, four I cups of coffee. This was I fun. I enjoy doing this with you. Never know what's going to come out when we start talking. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what was going to come out today. I didn't write those things on the paper. I just came out with them. Trust me. This is one of my ad-libs. Um, but thank you so yeah. much, everyone. Have faith. Understand the world is a beautiful place. It's much better above than below. Trust me. It's a beautiful day outside. Everyone have a great day. Sam, thank you, and bye.